This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Someone becoming more controlling over the money or more secretive about the money, secretive about their behavior, hiding information from you. Those are some of the big ones. I could give you an entire laundry list of red flags, but those are some of the really big ones. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, we'll be learning more about financial infidelity, how to spot signs of it, and what we can do about it in marriage. Second, we are back with our Family Fi segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring Jen Narciso, who's also known as the Investor Mama. She's going to share how she crafted her own version of family financial independence through house hacking with kids. All right, let's jump into today's show. Strong marriages are built on a foundation of communication, trust, and honesty. When that communication, trust, and honesty starts to break down, things can start to head in the wrong direction. A common marital issue with its roots in dishonesty is with financial infidelity. Today, we're going to learn more about financial infidelity, how to spot signs of it, and what we can do about it as married couples. And to help us with this important topic, I've invited Tracy Conan on the show today. Tracy works as a forensic accountant through her firm Sequence Inc. Forensic Accounting. She has been doing fraud investigations for more than 25 years and often testifies as an expert witness around the country. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thanks for having me, Andy. Absolutely. Well, let's start off with this topic around financial infidelity. What does that even mean? What is financial infidelity? In the simplest of terms, it's dishonesty surrounding the money, but it can cross over into financial abuse where someone is exerting control over their spouse with the money. But bringing it back to the dishonesty part of it, we're talking about things like spending money without your spouse's consent spending money outside of the agreements you and your spouse might have about money, keeping information from your spouse about the money so that they don't know what you're spending money on, spending money on things that they would not approve of if they knew about it. These are good examples for us to understand where that is. And there's probably a gray line there somewhere. And it all probably starts with your personal relationship, right? How do we define what the bad area is and what the good area is with regard to this dishonesty? Well, the really bad area is pretty easy when we think about things like spending on affair partners or on illegal drugs, prostitutes, gambling. I suppose gambling, uh, if your spouse knows about it and consents to it, it's maybe not a bad thing or not disallowed in your marriage. But those are kind of on the bad end of the spectrum. On the not so bad end of the spectrum where we get into that gray area is, you know, going and buying the expensive pair of shoes that you know your spouse wouldn't want you to buy, you know, spending on an expensive hobby against your spouse's wishes, just overspending in a way that harms your family and isn't honest with your spouse. Yeah. How prevalent is this in marriage? I know you've been at this for quite a while. What have you seen? I see that it happens in many marriages, but to a different degree. 
It happens, you know, in some marriages, it's only a little bit of spending here and there. It's the spouse who goes and gets the fancy coffee at the coffee shop every day, even though they know their spouse doesn't want them to spend that money and their budget really can't support that. So that's on the you know, mild end of the spectrum, all the way up to, I was talking last week with someone who was making investments that were very, very risky and intentionally not telling his spouse about it. What was interesting in that situation, as we talked it through, is he had the absolute best of intentions. He was making an investment that he believed in, and he was doing it for his family. But the fact that he concealed it from his wife is where it became the financial infidelity because it was completely dishonest because she never would have agreed to that investment had she known about it. Do you find this to be more prevalent for men or women or is it uh, across all genders? It's across the genders. Everyone gets involved in it. I think that the work that I do as a forensic accountant has clients coming to me who are more often women because they are often in a position in the marriage where they haven't been in control of the money or haven't earned as much money as their spouse. So they're in need of a forensic accountant more often. However, what I find is that both spouses can just as easily be involved in financial infidelity. If somebody's listening to this right now and they're maybe suspecting something that's going on, how do you approach this with your spouse, I guess, in the best manner? Well, the first thing I would like you to do is gather information. So I don't want you to create a big issue if there's nothing to be worried about. So what we do is first we look for red flags. Those red flags are behaviors or signs that indicate that something improper might be going on. I like to say look for things like changes in behavior, someone becoming more controlling over the money or more secretive about the money, secretive about their behavior, hiding information from you. Those are some of the big ones. I could give you an entire laundry list of red flags, but those are some of the really big ones. When you see those, the next step would be to gather some information. If you have access, legal access to a bank account that your name is on, go ahead and download the statements. Take a look at them. See what money is being spent on. If your name is on a credit card account, go ahead and get those. Run a credit report on yourself. See what debts are out there attached to your name. That's the beginning of gathering information. So you can see, is there anything obvious there to be worried about? Yeah, that makes sense. Now, is this more difficult in relationships where people maybe have separate accounts and not a joint account? Or I guess, does this happen either way? It can happen either way, but certainly if there are separate accounts, it makes it more difficult to get the information because if your name isn't on a bank account, you don't have legal access to see what's been going on in that account. And I always tell people who are in divorce or heading towards divorce or having marital problems who are looking into the money, don't break into that online account. Even if your spouse gave you the password to the online account, if your name is not on the account, I shy away from wanting you to log in because you never know when things are going to go south. So it does make it a little more difficult if there are separate accounts for sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's say that somebody has seen some red flags. They start to gather some information and they bring it up to their spouse and they're not very receptive about the discovery of this situation. What do you do in that standpoint? Well, I think that the response, the behavior is probably indicative of whether or not there's a problem. Someone who is very defensive or unwilling to talk about it is more likely to be involved in something that is improper. I think that people who are 
considering their options with marriage at this point are at a decision point, right? They probably know that something improper is going on. The next logical step would maybe be to go talk to a divorce attorney. Doesn't mean you have to get divorced, but it's really important to understand the laws in your state. If there is missing money, what your options are for how you would recoup that money. You know, if your spouse, let's say, spent $50,000 on gambling that they had taken out of your 401k account without your knowledge, half of that was yours. Is there a way to get that back? One of the ways you can get that money back is potentially if you have equity in your house and that equity is being split at divorce time, you could get a larger share awarded to you. So there are options, but I want you to know in your state where you live what those would be. Yeah, it's important to be informed, to know what's going on. There seems to be a point right there where we say, okay, I'm going to go to a divorce attorney or maybe I go to a marriage counselor. At one point, is it just too far for a marriage counselor to help? do Do we go to both? Right. If you think that you really want to save the marriage and that you would be willing to rebuild after finding out that your spouse was engaged in financial infidelity, then I think absolutely it is beneficial to seek the advice of a marriage counselor and see if your spouse is willing to work on it with you and rebuild that trust. I don't feel like it's really ever too late to try to salvage it if that's where your heart is. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's say there's somebody listening and they've already contacted the divorce lawyer. They're kind of already in the process. What are some steps that they can do to prepare financially for that divorce? The first step that I want everyone to take, we've already talked about, and that's gather information. If your name is on accounts, I want you to go online, get as many statements as you possibly can, download those, save them in a safe place. Because you never know when your access to that account may be cut off. Your name could get taken off that account without your consent, and then you no longer have access to it. So I always say before we, you know, tell anyone we're going to file for divorce that we're thinking about it. Let's gather all the information we can. Get that credit report on yourself so you know where you stand there. So gathering information is the first thing. And then to protect yourself, hopefully you have an opportunity to have some separate money of your own. If you have that separate money to help fund your attorney's fees, your living expenses as you move into the divorce, that's really, really helpful. We do the joint account thing for a lot of these relationships and it can be beneficial, but there can be a point in time where maybe you don't feel like you actually have control. Are you an advocate of somebody just having a separate account with some money set aside just in case this happens? It's almost like insurance a little bit for the married partner. What do you think about that? I do recommend having a separate account, not just as insurance in case something goes south, but also because I think it's important to have your own money that you have your own control over. So even if you are the spouse who isn't the breadwinner, to be able to have an account that has money of your own that you might spend on your hobbies, or you might go shopping every once in a while, to be able to have that agency and that control over money that is just yours is really important. Now, I always do say, if you do get divorced, don't try to hide that separate account. I'm not telling people to hide money from their spouses, but I am saying it's important to have that money set aside so that in case something does happen, you would be protected with some money in the bank for yourself. I think that's a really important conversation, maybe for couples out there who are listening to this. Maybe you've been doing the joint account thing for a while and some conversations around maybe you know, a yours, mine, and ours kind of situation where you have a little bit of separate money set aside for whatever they want to do, whether it's a you know unfortunate situation like this or just some personal autonomy that might provide, I guess, some relief in the relationship or just some 
some more communication opportunities. So we're all about that. We're all about open communication, honesty, and trust and relationships. Tracy, this has been very helpful, a very serious conversation. You're helping people with their situation. Talk to us about what's going on with you and this divorce money guide I hear a lot about. Well, as you know, forensic accountants can be pretty expensive when you're in the process of divorce, and most people just aren't up to that, not willing to make the investment, not able to. And so I came out with the Divorce Money Guide as an option for people in the process of divorce who need to get their arms around their finances. Maybe they have suspicions about fraud. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just weren't in control of the money, and now they don't know where to start. I'm going to get my bank statements, and then what? The Divorce Money Guide will walk them through what's going to happen in that financial part of their divorce, how they get their statements and their tax returns and other important financial documents, and then what to look for in them once they have them so they can understand exactly how their money was spent. This sounds like a great resource. I've seen a lot of divorce lately. Now I'm in my early 40s. I don't know if it's the if it's the 10-year itch or whatever the saying is, but it seems to be happening a lot in my life lately. So having some resources out there for individuals that make this process a lot easier. This can be a very, very difficult process emotionally, financially for people out there. So Tracy, I'm glad you're doing this. Where can people connect with you and maybe take a look at this Divorce Money Guide you talked about? Divorcemoneyguide.com is the website or they can find me on Instagram. My handle there is Divorce Money Guide. Awesome. Tracy, thank you so much for your time today and dedicating your time to this important topic. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Andy. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan 
above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. For our Family Fi segment, we're talking about achieving financial independence with kids. Now, a lot of people think that you have to choose one or the other. You can't have financial independence if you've got kids, or you can't have kids if you want financial independence. Well, our guest today is going to share her path to financial independence with kids. Jen Narciso is my guest today. Jen is a mother, a content creator, and investor who was actually laid off in 2020, but found her own version of Family Fi after that. Welcome to the show, Jen. Andy, thank you so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure. I love all the content you create, and I'm such a fan. So I'm happy to be on and provide any wisdom that I can share. (laughs) Oh, Jen, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much for listening, and I appreciate you being a part of this conversation to help people find their own version of family financial independence. So when did you decide you wanted financial independence for your family? Talk to me about that. So it was kind of funny. I was thinking about this. And when I was younger, I literally had the rich dad, poor dad experience play out in front of me with a friend's parent. They were two friends, both dads, uh, accountants, and one dad would work super late and justify it by saying that he worked local so that if he would have worked in the city or something, he'd have a commute. So he'd come home at like seven o'clock at night still, even though he could have ended work at five. And then the other, my other friend's dad owned the building that the other guy (laughs) worked in and he was off golfing and doing all these awesome things and spending time with his kids. Even though he had a practice too, he hired people and he said, you know, Jen, just get into real estate, do things, live below your means and you'll be, you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, I mean, I was young and 20 and okay, like whatever, but it kind of always sat with me, but I didn't realize I was doing the things it was, it was kind of at a subconscious level from that point on, if that makes sense. That's a really good example. I remember reading that book too in my 20s. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to get into real estate. <laughs> so did you end up getting into real estate after that? Yeah. So my boyfriend at the time, now husband, I said to him, okay, we're going to do this. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, let's just buy a house. He's like, we're not even married. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll just buy a house. Mm-hmm. And so this was back in 2013. And I wish I knew then what I know now, but we decided to buy a duplex in a decent area. It wasn't like the best area where we are, but it was much better than a lot of other areas, if that makes sense. And so at the time we thought $200,000 for a house was, was expensive and we're in the Northeast outside of the city. So for those of you listening, you're probably like, oh my goodness, you should have bought 20, which yes, we should have bought 20, but <laughs> and we And when didn't. she says the city, she's talking about New York City, everybody, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, for 250000 we got an awesome duplex and it was really funny because all of our friends made fun of us because... The duplex had tenants upstairs. That was a two bed, one bath. And we were living in like a four by four, one bedroom, one bath. But I'm like, we're never home. Who cares? Like someone's paying our mortgage. We were house hacking without knowing what house hacking was. And we were able to get into a house with very low down payment. And because of that, it allowed us to really amplify our savings because we were, I mean, I wasn't a high income earner. I was in a nonprofit sector, but my husband was decently making, but we were also living in the Northeast. So it's all relative of what high income earner means anyway. But we live below our means. We were always saving kind of first. 
again, but we did this without knowing what we were doing. We made tons, tons of money mistakes. Like everything that people tell you not to do, we totally did. And we still figured it out. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, yeah, getting started in real estate, I mean, that's a big wealth creator for a lot of people. And if you just hold on to it and stick with it, it, it can pay off in the long run. So I alluded to it at the beginning of the show that you lost your job during the pandemic. Was this the nonprofit job? And then I guess what were the circumstances that led to that? So I did want to also say too, because I think this is also important for people. When we were house hacking, we also had our daughter during the house hack. And so, because I know house hacking is it's a similar mindset that you can't do it with kids. And I think you actually, it's so important if you can to do it with kids because it teaches them. Like we literally taught our daughter about investing from the day she was born. She, we were included her when we were screening tenants. We included her when we were talking about money or if we had a vacancy or if we had to go to the house. Now she's six and we have our other son we have our son rather, and you know he's two and a half. But they come with us; they're included in all of our money decisions. We, and I think that's just so important to just highlight and acknowledge. But in 2020, I had just given birth to our son, and I kind of had a feeling with once COVID hit that things were going to get scarce, if that makes sense. Because I was working at the, I started working at the nonprofit in 08. I came in right before that recession hit. And so I saw some of the writings on the wall. So at that time, I had also recently lost and launched Investor Mama. I knew that things were going to get a little sour at work. And so at that point, we actually decided to buy our single family home. And because through all those years that we were house hacking, we were able to save up. And I was not concerned because I knew we had a very strong emergency fund at that point. If I did lose my job, it wasn't going to be the scary end of the world thing. That's incredible. So you had enough money to weather the storm, and then you also had enough income coming in from your rentals to make it not feel as impactful when you had your second child. Is that right? Yeah, and it was also, we we tightened. We tightened our belt. Like We went through, we did the exercise of going through our expenses, seeing really where can we cut. When honestly, we just did it again. My husband and I sat down last month and we went through our expenses because right now things are getting tight because I'm also, I also pivoted and became a real estate agent. So it's also something I, I always kind of recommend people. A job is never secure, but if you can just develop skills and you'll always be okay, and so no matter what happens, just have confidence in yourself that you'll figure it out and that like you can do hard things. And so at that time too, I, I was getting my real estate license. Like I kind of knew, and even if you don't know, you just always assume you could always lose your job because you really can. And having backup plans is just a great safety net. And so, yeah, I was getting my real estate license at the time. I was doing a couple other things to kind of just set myself up for if, if I had to pivot fast, I would be able to. Yeah. So it sounds like you've diversified your income in quite a few ways. You got the real estate thing. You said you have a content creation through Investor Mama and then your rental income. And I guess the fourth lever you pulled, as you talked about, is just being able to flex with the amount of money you spend in life. So talk to us about that conversation that you had with your husband at the time. I mean, how did you guys do that? And maybe giving instructions to people to say, hey, if things are tighter, here's a way to get through it. 
Yeah, well, actually, I have a guide. So if you just want to go to InvestorMama.com, you can see 19 tips for navigating money in a relationship because I lived it. My, I'm the money person. My husband is not. <laughs> so it was pulling teeth to get him to sit down. I love him very dearly. But having a money date is so crucial. And I know it can be torturous because I live it. But I said, listen, we really got to tighten our belt now because even right now, real estate's slowing down significantly. And I'm worried that we're going to need to pivot again. So we had the talk, got all of our bank accounts together for the past like eight months, went through, was shocked at where some of our money was going because <laughs> we had everything on autopilot. And again, even like I'm a huge money nerd and I could not believe where our money was going. So if you haven't done this exercise in a while, you should definitely, definitely still do it. And if you're married, sit down with your significant other, your spouse and go through it. I mean, I think our grocery bill and food bill was like, almost, uh, I don't even want to say it, but it was say like 1500 it. <laughs> it was like 1500 to 2000 a month. Like, And then all, we had a category of like miscellaneous, which is like Amazon and all these other things like haircuts, like things that we didn't need to do it was also like two grand a month. I'm like, we're spending almost $4,000 a month on like, I don't even know. <laughs> so total discretionary spending that we are cutting back on and, and acknowledging, but we never would have known if we didn't sit down together and just do it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? I think the act, sometimes people feel like, oh, I got to get another job or I got to increase my income or I whatever. I have to side hustle. The sheer act of just looking at your budget and saying, well, do I want to work that many extra hours or do I just want to maybe cut back my unnecessary spending a bit? I mean, that could create almost a full income there, depending yeah, on how much you're spending, right? Yeah. And it's so silly too. I mean, granted, like not everyone's in, I, I want to fully acknowledge, I know that we're in a very different position than many other people who may not have the luxury to do it, but it's definitely, definitely worth a start to do. Especially like I, we felt it like when for us now, especially with kids, like we need to get money quickly. Like we don't have the luxury of like at this point in our life to think of a new side hustle or start a new business. If we need money, we're going to need it you know, we, we need to cut. And that's like the first place that we can go to to get quick money and really reduce our lifestyle. I mean, our lifestyle has been inflated. And like I said, even people who do watch their money a lot, it's just so easy to have to have that creep in. You guys have essentially created financial independence for yourself through real estate, through creating a series of small businesses, and then just looking at your budget very intently and making sure you're spending in accordance with your values. Is that right? Yeah, well, I should. My husband still works. He, we're not completely financial free. Even me, I probably need to bring in a little bit of income. We're very close for me being fi, but we also have. We actually sat down and had this conversation of the lifestyle we want. That I do want to work more, but it's been a choice to work. If that makes sense, like if I really didn't want to work, I wouldn't have to. But then we'd have to cut our lifestyle more than I would like to. I agree with you. And when we talk about the traditional version of FI, I almost don't even want to talk about that anymore just because I feel like I feel like that's so unattainable for most people in our country. Yes, there are people who've done it. I've had the opportunity to interview some of those folks on the show. I think that's fantastic. But I would say for most people, 
it is this type of activity that creates your version of family financial independence. It's being able to tighten your belts. It's being able to create income sources outside of a typical job and then making decisions that are best for your family at this time. You have young children. You want to be able to be there to help them. Like you said, with your rich dad story at the beginning, you want to be a part of their lives, especially as the important parts are happening. So let's talk to the person who's listening right now and then maybe thinking, ah, you know what, financial independence, I don't think that's something that I can do because I can't get millions and millions of dollars in a taxable brokerage account and then live off the balance. What's one step that they could take following this interview to find their own version of family financial independence? First of all, anyone can do it. You're going to have to make some difficult decisions and it may not be easy depending on your financial situation. I don't want to sugarcoat it and say, yes, like it's so easy to do and like you're going to be financially free next year and all that. No, but anything worthwhile is worth doing. But it really is just starting with a baby step. And for for whatever that is for you, my biggest recommendation first is just going through those expenses because once you really know what your expenses are, where your money's going, and also your debts, now you can make some better decisions. Maybe it's automating more savings. Maybe it's cutting back a little bit more. Maybe it is getting that side hustle. But you won't know unless you actually have your data, I like to say, or your facts. <laughs> and from there, you'll make better decisions. So the first thing you could do is just sit down and go through those expenses and really understand where your money's going. And then, like I said, also what debts you have and all that stuff. I love it. Jen, tell people where they can connect with you and learn more from Investor Mama. Sure. You can go to InvestorMama.com slash connect. You can find my social media. You can email me. I really would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your stories, your struggles, whatever, especially for those moms out there. I know financial independence is a whole other realm once you do have kids. So that's actually one of the reasons why I did create Investor Mama was to really, you know, just money conversations with a mom's touch so that people can, women can have have access and learn and ask more questions. Women that listen to this show that want to create family financial independence for their family. So hopefully they can connect with Jen and grow. Jen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Andy, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I wanted to let you all know that we have all of these great interviews, video interviews on our awesome YouTube channel. So if you want to see Tracy and Jen in action, we have a YouTube channel where you can check them out. So we have over 8,500 subscribers on that channel now, and I'm shooting for 10,000 this year. So if you want to check it out, that would be a big, big help. Each Wednesday, I share a new video where I'm talking about family financial independence and different ideas. And then on Thursdays, I share awesome interviews like these ones from our podcast. So if you've been interested in learning more about these guests and you know, seeing the interactions and maybe watching instead of listening, and you want to support your buddy Andy, go to youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money. That's youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money. Hit that red subscribe button. That would be a huge help in growing this platform. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your support as we are growing this small family business. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Joyce Brothers. The best proof of love is trust. See what you can do today to increase the communication, the honesty, and trust in your relationships, everyone. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.